entering the Freedom Hut. The investigation of the Russia collusion is, in fact, criminal now. We'll talk about also the entrapment of General Flynn. CNN thinks that it's still doing journalism. Is polyamory becoming a thing? And also grabbing oil fields in Syria. Coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. This This is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Great to have you here with me today. Oh, my. Some very exciting headlines last night. Kind of thing that gets me all all excited to come in and do the show. And you know that a lot of the deep state libs out there are quite unhappy about this one. Justice Department, this was the headline in the New York Times, is said to open uh, criminal inquiry into its own Russia investigation. Oh, isn't that quite a quite a way of putting it? This piece, by the way, is a masterclass. I mean, this is an incredibly uh, perfect example of why people don't trust the media, of why there's an understanding that the media does have biases, pushes narratives, pushes political beliefs, that they are activists posing as journalists. The subheadline here is the move is likely to open the attorney general to accusations that he is trying to deliver a political victory for President Trump. Oh, other people, I guess, might make that allegation. The New York Times isn't making that allegation. Of course. No, no, no. It's the other people out there that will try to undermine this investigation in its entirety that say that this is absolutely not on the up and up, that this is a political hit job in the other direction after we've had three years of political hit jobs against Trump. They're going to do everything they can to undermine this. I have to say, it will be remarkable watching the biggest news outlets in the country and people who are public analysts, intellectuals, talking heads, whatever they may be, go on on like a minute's notice here from being all about how our sacred institutions and the most important components of our democracy, the DOJ, the rule of law, how dare you question the special counsel? How dare you question James Comey or Robert Mueller? These are decent public servants doing God's work for America. They will go from that to Bill Barr is a hatchet man for Trump, that This investigation by Durham, a well-respected, and remember this, because you're not going to hear it a lot from a lot of people, the U.S. attorney for the state of Connecticut, he investigated the destruction of CIA interrogation tapes. He was appointed by Attorney General Eric Holder to do that, a a lawyer's lawyer, a trusted guy, a no-nonsense guy. Just look at his goatee, and you know this guy means business. Do you think that you'll hear that description from most of the mainstream media outlets? No, what you'll hear is that there's whispers, there's perception out there. They're not trying to create the perception. They're just reporting on the perception of the New York Times, you see, that there's a perception out there that maybe this whole investigation of the 
conspiracy to nullify the 2016 election under the basic headline of Russia Trump collusion, that by looking into that at all, Trump and all of his minions are undermining the rule of law. That's what you'll hear. That this time around, the process receives no deference. In fact, the process has been destroyed. The process is being weaponized. Oh, why is that? What evidence do they have for that? You're going to watch the the most hated people in America right now are going to become, in terms of the media, will become Attorney General Barr and U.S. Attorney Durham. The reason for that is they have to have a scorched earth campaign against those men and with it, the Department of Justice process itself of a criminal investigation that will look at and now have subpoena power to get records from uh, different individuals who might be implicated in a plot to destroy the president of the United States. A plot that would have involved high level Obama administration appointees. A plot that may, in fact, have gone all the way up to the Obama White House itself. Up to and including perhaps knowledge of and the complicity of President Barack Obama himself. Those are the things that we want to find out. That's what we want to know. They can call it a conspiracy theory as much as they want. I just call it the theory of the case. And that was more than enough for them, wasn't it, when they opened up a full field FBI investigation on on the uh, reasonably nice guy, but but not even vaguely high level or or uh, well connected in foreign policy circles. George Papadopoulos. He heard something from a guy at a bar. He passed along that rumor to some other guy. And then there was an entire theory created about Trump working with the Russians in an act of sedition to undo the 2016 election stunning isn't it molly hemingway who's been doing great work on this had a piece that's out today at the federalist just looking at the fight that's coming now what's going to happen now they've been hoping all along the left has been planning to subvert this whole process and now that it looks like we might get some real answers about what happened here who talked to whom They're just going to go absolutely scorched earth, apoplectic. The lies, the viciousness, the denial of obvious reality, whatever the left has to do. Remember, this is not just about being right. It's not just about the need that Democrats and the the left, and I guess we don't say progressive very much anymore in this country. What happened? But the left, well, maybe because it's gotten so far left that we just can't even use the progressive word. Uh, But all along this time, they've been willing to do things that were underhanded. They've been willing to bankrupt people in Trump's inner circle. They've been willing to use the law as a tool of partisan politics. We need to be prepared for them to go all in against this investigation now, because yes, they have an emotional need. They like to think they're right. They like to believe that Trump is the monster they've created in their minds, but there are also careers and power and money in the balance. I would like to think that at some point, for example, CNN's audience will realize that they've really been lied to by their own team. 
that CNN has become a laughingstock. It's a joke of an organization now that Jeff Zucker and the so-called serious journo anchors there are partisan attack dogs for the Democrat left. That that's what they've done. That's what they've become. That the New York Times here in its headline and subheading lets it be known exactly what it thinks of this criminal investigation into the plot to destroy Trump and to undo the 2016 election. Anyway, here's what Molly writes about what we are facing. Quote, an attempt to tear down the foundations of our republic by corrupt unelected bureaucrats who have decided the will of voters is subordinate to their will to power. It represents a fatal threat to our system of government. And if this coup succeeds, whether through impeachment proceedings or through an election that if the last three years are any indication, the other side is clearly willing to steal by hook or by crook, the nation will cease to be a constitutional democratic republic. This isn't about Trump or Republicans or conservatives. It's about Washington needing to learn the differences or needing to learn rather that political differences have to be settled at the ballot box, lest instead they be settled with an undermining of our constitutional norms and institutions. It is going to get very ugly, my friends, because there are a lot of powerful people in this process who do not want the truth to come out. The criminal inquiry into the Russia investigation origins. There's been no effort at all by Mueller, for example, really Weissman, because Weissman was running the Mueller probe to find out how did this whole thing get started? We always begin as though we're 15 minutes into the movie. Well, this guy said this thing to somebody at a bar and Everybody knew that there was this Russia-Trump collusion theory out there, and so it seemed plausible. Really, where did that theory come from? Who came up with that? Who wrote reports suggesting that? Who used the power of the government to create some smokescreen for activities related to that? I, I just, I just want to know. Wouldn't we all want to know? Ah, oh, but... Any, any questioning of the special counsel was doing Putin's bidding. Any questioning of the investigation that ruined people, that sent people to prison, that gave felony convictions for process crimes, process crimes that never would have been committed had not Weissman and his team of Democrat hatchetmen had near unlimited power and resources to just create this retribution campaign against Trump under the guise of the special counsel. And now we are supposed to just act like none of that happened and believe the lib media, believe the allies of the Democrat Party and, and the socialist left in America, which is what we should probably start calling it. It doesn't matter what, you know, if they change words all the time, why can't we start to use words that are more accurate? Democratic Party is now a socialist party. And say, oh, that's not true. No, it is true. But if they're allowed to do all this looking into things just to get the facts, and they schemed and maneuvered to do it in the Department of Justice that technically works for the president, they turned the DOJ against the president for whom they work. And now after sitting through that, after suffering through that, there is some hope that perhaps we'll get answers and we'll find out what really happened. And the Democrats are unsurprisingly apoplectic about it. 
There are careers, there's money, there's power in the balance. So nothing, nothing should be uh, beyond the scope of our imaginations for where this is going to go. Some very ugly, very disreputable, disgraceful conduct from the media, from the Democratic Party, from Schiff, from Lou, from Pelosi, from Schumer. Go down the list. They will have, for those of us who believe in facts and truth and justice, a lot to answer for. Of course, they're constituents. Many people who are so brainwashed in anti-Trumpism, it doesn't matter what we find. They will never care. They really do believe, while they've been talking all along about how much we have to respect the sacred institutions of our democracy, they really believe that anything to defeat Trump is acceptable. The only way that you can gauge if it's okay or not, is, is it harmful to Trump? And is it helpful to the left? If the answers to those questions are yes, doesn't matter who you trample, what you destroy, what you have to break to get there. This Justice Department inquiry, now a criminal inquiry, which is funny, it's, it's a criminal investigation is what this is. They are investigating. Be very precise when you look at the words, when you see how they describe all of this. Uh, this could lead to catastrophe for the Democrats in 2020. And they must know that. They have a very weak field as it is. What happens to Joe Biden if we find out that the Obama administration did in fact try to destroy the Trump campaign? What happens if we find out that the so-called insurance policy in case Trump gets elected was something that was known in high-level policy circles in the Obama White House? How does that look for Joe Biden? How does that look for the Democratic Party? And I think we are very possibly going to find out information of that gravity. I can't tell you what it is yet because we haven't seen the findings. But the FISA abuse report is complete and will be out soon. That was reported last night. And let me give you a summary version of how that's going to go. The FISA abuse that the Comey FBI and that the Department of Justice under Loretta Lynch engaged in against Trump associates and who knows who else was jaw-dropping. It was explicitly political. It was the worst kind of abuse of power. This was third world dictatorship stuff using the intelligence service against a political, a democratic political challenge to the political establishment as well as the party in power. I used to work at the CIA, man. If we had seen this in another country, we'd say, man, that's, that is as dirty as it gets. You're using the intelligence service to try and take down and, and, uh, and finish off your political opponent during an election? If that happened in some other country, people would say that, oh, that's right, it was a coup. And that's what we'll find out from this investigation that's underway now and who knows how far it will go the investigation of the investigators, we will find out that this was, in fact, the Obama administration's pro-Hillary, anti-Trump, soft coup effort. That is my prediction for where this is going, and I tend to be right. Folks, you hear the news. Once again, Putin and the Russians are trying to engage in our election to decide who the president's going to be. And this time, I'm the object there of their attention. Because Putin knows if I am president of the United States, his days of tyranny and trying to intimidate the United States and those in Eastern Europe are over. I'm going to stand up to him. He's a bully, just like the president. And I know he doesn't want me to be president, but to tell you what, when I'm president, things are going to change. Mr. Putin, 
The American people decide their elections, not you. What is any of this based on? This is now Joe Biden. That was just from this past week. Saying that Putin is trying to pick Trump again. More Russian meddling in the election. This has become a hysteria that Democrats know they can use for the purposes of getting voter turnout. This is, in, this is insane. What, what exactly is it? Because there's some Russian troll farm still operating somewhere? Russian Facebook bots? If it were that easy to turn an election, why wouldn't people be doing this from all over the world all the time? It's not that easy to turn an election. And where's the evidence for what Biden's talking about? Even better question, perhaps. Biden's saying that Putin's tyranny will be over when Biden's in office? I mean, it's just a stupid thing to say, but Joe Biden's not a very smart man. And yet he's the Democrat frontrunner by far, still. What does that tell you about this field? They're scared. They don't want to actually have anybody who has to line up against Trump because they're worried that Trump will crush whoever that contender may be. And they're still hoping that Joe Biden will turn into something that he's not. An inspiring politician for whom or, or who is able to express to people a real reason to vote for him. I was Obama's VP is not enough. That's what they're finding out. But this Russia stuff, this is just delusional at this point. But I know people who still believe it. I know people that anything that you say about Russian interference in our election, they, they, the blood drains out of their face and they get terrified. And, oh, my gosh, our democracy. It really is a, a hysteria. I mean, this is people who haven't been able to put this into the proper context at all. Instead, they're constantly terrified of something that's not happening or going to happen. It's all going to be okay, libs. Putin is not hiding under your bed. Speaking of delusional, my friends, Hillary Clinton. She's back! I just do the Hillary voice now to wake up any of you that aren't really paying close attention. You're like, oh, Buck's voice is so melodic and mellow. <laughs> Hillary comes back. Oh, what's going on? And all of a sudden, even for producer Mark over here, it gives him a little bit of a jolt. He's like, ah. Right? Sometimes. He's busy at work. Over He's keeping, he keeps the, the trains running in the Freedom Hut, you know, running on time. And I'm the guy who's always trying to ride between the train cars, which you're not supposed to do, and take selfies and video of myself like, woo! See, this is why we're a good team. He makes sure the trains actually go, though. So we appreciate that. Uh, as to Hillary, why am I talking about her? Other than I just wanted to just do a Hillary squawk. I'm back! Uh, it's because... We've learned more about Hillary in the last few weeks than I think we have in a long time. For one thing, this, this Hillary Unleashed, or whatever they're calling it, uh, when she feels free to say what's really on her mind is fascinating because she's kind of crazy. You know, they, you, you, they propped her up as, oh my gosh, she's a technocrat, she's so smart, has this incredible resume, and a, mm, it was really kind of all handed to her, wasn't it? There's nothing... Nothing of, of real substance. What was her big accomplishment as Secretary of State, by the way? You ever think about that? What did she manage to do? Nothing. Managed to fly all over the world and do a lot of uh, press junkets for her forthcoming presidential campaign. Womp, womp. But she didn't win. So sad. I'm so sad. Uh, and then Hillary, what, before that was a senator? We know that's because her husband was president for eight years. She was willing to be a person uh, who would just attack any of the accusers of her husband. 
I also love if you go back and see her in some of those interviews where she starts to do like a southern accent and you're like, Hillary, your southern accent is terrible. She did it, though. She's from Chicago. And she would do this kind of, yes, I'm just, I'm not Tammy Faye, whatever. I'm not just going to stand by my man. If you look back, there's some clips circulating right now of Hillary back in the day. Just shameless, you know. She gave this uh, speech. I remember it was at a, I, I won't even, I'm not even do the Hillary pressure, the speech she gave, if memory serves, at a uh, predominantly black Baptist church. But she's just a shameless panderer, has no ethical, moral, or even really ideological core. It's just whatever works at any point in time, whatever you know helps in her relentless pursuit of power. And uh, then that brings me to her latest explanation when she was asked, re- asked recently why she lost, uh, and I think this was on the, the, the Obama Bros podcast or whatever it is, where they're all like, yeah, like, we're just, we were all like really like young and cool in the Obama administration, and now we do a podcast where we curse a lot, and like, whatever, man, like, totally. Like, a lot of, I mean, I know a lot of libs listen to that stuff. I, I do not know why, um, but they do. Uh, but he, this is real. So, Pluff you know him from Democrat circles, asked Hillary Clinton what she thought the Trump campaign strategy may be. She said its strategy would consist of two parts. My friends, this is going forward. This is now for 2020. I'm not talking about the 2016 election. This is going forward. Uh, Dark web videos and propping up of a third party candidate. The former secretary of state, now she goes back to her loss, attributed her loss in part to voters seeing flashing videos of her on the dark web doing horrible things. Quote, I think it's going to be the same as 2016, Clinton said. Don't vote for the other guy. You don't like me. Don't vote for the other guy because the other guy is going to do X, Y, and Z, or the other guy did such terrible things. I'm going to show you in these flashing videos that appear and then disappear, and they're on the dark web and nobody can find them, but you're going to see them and you're going to see that person doing these horrible things. The dark web? Hillary thinks that there was essentially that the secret Internet was conspiring against her and that that's what changed. You know, maybe she should have just campaigned in Wisconsin. Maybe she should have been a warmer, more compelling human being running for public office. Uh, Instead of an entitled, grasping grifter. People figured this stuff out. At least enough people did. So why do we treat this like this is serious? Uh, This is a serious discussion from a person who knows what's going on. She blames the dark web for her loss. I think we should all be uh, rather astounded that that isn't getting roundly mocked and ridiculed. How many of you have even been on the dark web? How many of you could even find the dark web? Uh, but here we are. Anything, anything to make Hillary's uh, ego a little bit less bruised in this whole process. By the way, I was mentioning before about where we think um, where Biden is right now. And this is this is where the, the money situation. I, I, I think that the money situation is showing us that Biden is not long for the front runner status. Producer Mark, would you just play Biden gave quite a quite a resounding, a, a uh, full-throated defense of his political poverty right now. Play uh, 19. 
Do you still consider yourself the front runner? I know I'm the front runner. Find me a national poll with the notable, a couple exceptions, the last four that have come out. But look, this is a marathon. Yes. This is a marathon. You can look at the last campaign finance uh, filing. We looked at that. You have less than $9 million in the bank. Bernie Sanders has 30, nearly $34 million in the bank. Senator Warren has $26 million. How do you compete against that? I just flat beat them. <laughs> We're on course to do extremely well. I'm not. I'm not worried about being able to fund this campaign. I really am not. Truly. I just. I love the way that Biden starts out. He's like, he's like, find me, find me one poll, find me one poll. Where, oh, well, except for like the last, yeah, a bunch of recent ones. But forget, forget about that. <laughs> it's like, oh well, don't start with you know, find me one poll. Okay, other than those five. Uh, that's a classic, a classic Biden moment. I've always felt that Biden is really a case study and how effective the media is for covering up for people that they like. Because he was a buffoon during the Obama administration, said stupid things, made bad decisions, didn't know what the heck was going on a lot of the time. But it was always, oh, Joe Biden, he's so cute. He's like that. He's like that lovable grandpa we all have who just sometimes forgets that his keys around his neck. Nope. They wouldn't do that for Republicans. No, a Republican says one bad thing and the person's supposed to be ruined for all for all eternity. Oh, and Representative, this is just one more since we're in the, on the political side of things. Representative Ilhan Omar has endorsed Bernie Sanders. Play nine. I believe uh, that Senator Bernie Sanders has complete fluency in the struggles of working people. Um, He has been someone who has fought alongside and for marginalized people in this country for many years. Um, And I believe that he uh, and I share value and a vision for the America that we all deserve and will do everything that we can to build the movement that will get us there. Bernie Sanders has been fighting for marginalized people, huh? Up in Vermont? Is the senator from Vermont? I, I would just, I'd like a little bit of proof other than the most obvious Marxist class warfare stuff, which Bernie Sanders, that, that is really the core of who he is, even though he's a millionaire with three houses. He wants to make sure everybody pays more in taxes to millionaires and the billionaires. They're not doing their part. It's not right. People in this country know that you have to pay more in taxes or else the capitalists will eat your children. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm just trying to say some crazy Bernie stuff. It's just, he does say some really insane things on a pretty regular basis. Oh, and then we don't have any audio of this, but Elizabeth Warren. Oh, gosh, you know, gee, golly, she's she's found a way. That they're gonna pay. They're gonna pay for the multi-trillion-dollar Medicare for all program. They're they're go. They're gonna find a way to. Well, she's been working on it a long time. Well, I'm glad she finally figured out she has to actually have a plan, <laughs> not just be like, I'm gonna give everybody free health care. I think they're rolling that out maybe today. How they're gonna pay for it? Here's a here's a hint. Uh, the numbers will be wrong and it'll make it seem like it's all going to come from rich people. And that's just not true. I already knew that without seeing the plan. How am I such a genius? Because these people are all very predictable. 
They don't learn from the past. They don't learn from reality. They don't learn from economics. They just think that whatever promises they can make to people that inspires a feeling of, ooh, that sounds good. That's all they have to do, including Bernie. Uh, my friends, we have to talk a bit about the General Flynn situation. I know we were discussing investigating the investigators at the top of the show, but I can't skip over that. It's important. Big report out today up on foxnews.com. Brooks Singman is the writer on this one. FBI agents manipulated Flynn file as Clapper allegedly urged kill shot. This is according to a court filing. Let me give you some of the details and then we will together dive into the significance of this because, my friends, it is quite significant. An explosive new court filing from Michael Flynn's legal team alleges that FBI agents manipulated official records of the former National Security Advisor's 2017 interview that led him to being charged with lying to investigators. It's Flynn's lawyer's latest attempt to get the case thrown out. Sidney Powell, Flynn's attorney, filed a 37-page motion on Thursday outlining several big allegations, once again requesting the government produce all evidence as it relates to Flynn, urging the court to dismiss the entire prosecution for outrageous government misconduct and to hold the prosecutors in contempt. Uh, There's a lot of big stuff alleged in here, the kind of things you wouldn't want to put in writing and present before a court of law unless you had something to support them. And the belief here, the short version of it, and you have to look at the timeline and there's all this information that you have to piece together but the short version of what seems to have happened is that struck oh that's right the same guy who's texting his lover about the insurance policy and andy mccabe's office in case trump wins who hates trump who says trump voters smell that guy fbi is a big place tens of thousands of employees fbi is not a small organization oh and Meanwhile, the FBI has one guy who seems to be at the nexus of so much of the anti-Trump stuff that went on. Isn't, isn't that a bit curious? It's almost like it's not a coincidence. Maybe this guy really was trying to use his power as a senior counterintelligence agent for the FBI to do damage to the Trump campaign because he thought Trump was a clear and present danger to this country. Hmm. The allegation here is that after the conversation, which we've talked about many times, where Ambassador Flynn was approached, while he's the incoming national security advisor, folks, he's approached by some FBI agents who, and now we we have some information about how there was all this discussion back in FBI headquarters, how do they approach Flynn so that he doesn't really know what's going on and they can basically jam him up. That's what, we'd, that's what they used to say at the NYPD. They could, they could get him. This was a get Flynn operation. They already had the transcript of the phone call. They knew exactly what was said on the phone call. Important point here, by the way, there was no crime. There was nothing illegal. To say the low, to say it's a Logan Act violation is, you know, folks, and you have to remember this. Libs are shameless, especially when they're talking about the law. You know, this is why they'll, they'll find some vague way to interpret any statute. They'll broaden it out. Oh, well, you know, the president should go to prison because of honest services fraud. Because he's not giving the American people the honest services of his effort. Instead, he's trying to build his own personal brand as president. And that's an idiotic legal theory, but it's not too stupid for libs. The Logan Act? 
Remember, that was the pretext. They were going to use a law that has been around for over 200 years that not a single person has ever gone to prison for. And that was the pretext for going after a national security advisor, Sally Yates. Oh, that's right. Who wouldn't who wouldn't actually do her job as acting attorney general because she hates Trump so much because she didn't like that the president of the United States does, in fact, have the legal authority to prevent certain classes of aliens from coming into this country if the president determines it's the national interest. So her legal analysis was wrong. And she did the whole hashtag resistance. I'm the acting attorney general, but I'm going to pretend like. I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. She was involved in this process. I mean, you look at the individuals who were in on this and it's this it is an anti-Trump cabal. But back to the struck and the 302. Remember, 302 is FBI speak for the memorandum of the conversation that was made. And I will tell you this, you know, in an age when everyone's carrying around phones and all this stuff. It should be considered, it sh- I believe it should be considered, and this is people going to get mad at me, maybe in the Bureau for saying, I don't care. You either record a conversation or it's all just, you know, it, it doesn't count, all right? You either record it or not. This, I'm going to like, unless they're taking us like a stenographer notes in real time, you don't get to have a conversation with somebody and then afterwards be like, yeah, I did it. This is the Comey maneuver. And I did a write-up of it where I look like the hero of my own drama. You know, James Comey, oh, in my own notes, I always seem like the one honest man here. It's like I'm in a, you know, uh, Shonda Rhimes show. What's that one? The uh, the thing about where they all, not, not, not your favorite, Mark, uh, Grey's Anatomy. What's the one with all the DC stuff going on? You know what I mean? Scandal. Yes. Yeah. Like James Comey's the one honest guy in the middle of Scandal. I do not watch that one. You do? You do watch that one? Do not. I don't know. Mrs. Mrs. Producer Mark may decide that that's going to I don't think she it. watches it either. She does love Law & Order SVU, though. I I know. I've met some other ladies who love that show, and I never All understand. females like that show, I think. I don't understand yeah. why that show is so appealing. But anyway. Uh, so here's the allegation about Strzok. That he may have changed, actually altered, this is what's in this court filing, changed the 302 after some news broke about Flynn, so there's news stories out there, and they're like, oh, we got to get him now. So they would have changed the information so they could criminally charge him. All in an effort to flip him on Trump because they believed that there was this Russia collusion thing that Flynn knew about and must have been involved in. So they were supposed to flip Flynn. The problem with flipping Flynn is he didn't know anything. He didn't do anything. And Trump didn't do anything. But this was a grotesque abuse of power absolutely horrific and they ruined a good man general michael flynn not just one big orgy fighting the stigma of consensual non-monogamy that's you haven't tuned into a different show this is still the buck sexton show uh that's a headline from cbs news (laughs) we have to put on producer mark we have to have very different music like you know turn down the lights maybe a little bit of you know that I can't really do that. You know what I mean, though. That kind of music, if it if it were a show where we would discuss these kinds of lifestyle choices, that Ooh, there we go. Not just one big orgy fighting the stigma of consensual non-monogamy. There we go. Yeah, 
That's, that's, look at you on the fly. It's literally titled Cheesy Porn Music in the System. <laughs> wow. Mm. Uh, so there we have that. Uh, but this is a real thing, folks. This is a real thing. Uh, there is a, a clear, and you start to see the headlines piling up. You see the news stories being gathered together. There is a clear effort from the forces of, of the left, the progressive, uh, the social, not even somebody's also justice. I don't even want you to call it, just this alternative left-wing, anti-Judeo-Christian value movement within America, um, the libs, the liberals, that are trying to make a uh, trying to make a case, a public case through these different news stories that what I believe is called uh, polyamory, and I have to learn a bit more of the terminology here. I will tell you, I, this is this is not my uh, area of yes, polyamorous is the individual. So a polyamory or polygamy, wait, married to more than one person is polygamy. You can't do that. But a relationship, a kind of understanding that you're more or less married, but you're not legally married, you're in a multiple person relationship, that's polyamory. Yeah. So I, I'm getting the lingo down. I'm getting the terminology down here. And this is where you're in a, a defined relationship but it is either non-monogamous entirely or non-monogamous within, within certain parameters. And uh, wait, do we have some of the CBS? CBS has done a documentary on this now. Please play it. It's coming. The documentary clip will be played in just a moment. Monogamy is something that we take with like a We both, I think, believe that monogamy is something that we take with like a grain of salt. I have a girlfriend. Bridget has a boyfriend. Yeah, it is a triad monogamous relationship, which is yeah, sounds kind of weird. I am shocked at how common consensual non-monogamy is now. It's not just about sleeping with each other's husbands, you know. Our lives are meshed together. A lot of people think that, you know, when you're three people in a relationship, you're dividing attention. But we see it as we're multiplying the attention. Many people are trying to create family in different kinds of ways, and I think a lot of people see that as dangerous. My ex-husband is explicitly concerned. I think he's in that mindset. It's just not normal. This is not how it's supposed to be. Giving somebody an out may give them an excuse to have a permanent out. We're not here to just wreck the world and burn it down. <laughs> and the media, I can tell you, is taking a pretty favorable tone about this whole thing, which really should not be surprising. Uh, they are anti, anti-Western civilization commies in the media. Is, is, that's not a not an unusual thing, unfortunately. Yeah, anti-Western civ commies. Maybe that's a term we should start to use. Um, because monogamy in the context of a sexual relationship is a, and of course marriage as well, is a building block of our society. I, I've often talked to you about the left's desire to kick at the load-bearing foundations of our civilization just to see what happens. This is, this is definitely taking a, a good kick, maybe even taking a swing with a sledgehammer. And they start to talk about this in terms, meaning the media, when they are writing about this. I've seen a few different pieces now on on how this is a, a lifestyle choice where you know no one's being harmed and it's consenting adults and 
and what's the big deal? And I, you know, they don't they see. And maybe people that are opposed to this have a bigoted mindset. Now, I'm just going to jump back to this for a second here, or or rather, jump backward in time. I recall during the uh, discussions over whether it was whether traditional marriage should be left to the states. And of course, then the Supreme Court came in and said, no, everybody has a right to marry. And there was this whole thing about you know, marriage between one man and one woman was traditional marriage. And then it expanded to same sex marriage. But we were told by the left when this whole debate was happening, this discussion was happening, that it would never there would never come a time when it couldn't be a marriage is between one man and 10 women or 10 women and 10 men, or whatever it would be, right? That the one-to-one, that the one-to-one component of marriage would continue to be understood by all as an important part of that contract and an important part of society. And the, the laws around marriage are meant for the replication of a certain kind of society. Uh, now you're going to see, I think, Efforts for people, people are going to start to bring up, well, if polyamorousness is okay or if polyamory is fine, why wouldn't polygamousness be fine? Why should polygamy be outlawed? I don't think we're far from this. I mean, you see how much the Overton window about personal relationships has shifted in just the last five years, last 10 years. And it is always going toward efforts to undermine what we had thought of as traditional building blocks of our society. Uh, You've seen marriage turn into something that is, at least legally speaking, increasingly, I guess it's state by state, but in some places it's it's almost like it's a a joke. It's largely an unserious institution. I mean, I was in Vegas not long ago, and sure enough, there was a wedding chapel right next to the Right next to the slot machines. Now, look, maybe some people just want to go to Vegas because they want to deal with, you know, they don't want to deal with any nonsense and get married quickly. I understand that. But I think some people probably just go in there, get drunk and get married. Or maybe that only happens in the hangover. Uh, But this is disturbing, folks, that the press takes a non-critical look at this. Think about the areas of discourse, the things that the media could report on where they can't help but always take a side, right? They can't help but suggest that, um, you know, hate crimes, for example, or hate speech is something that shouldn't really be covered by the First Amendment. And you say to yourself, well, hold on a second. If, if hate speech doesn't cover the First Amendment, then what does the First Amendment really need to cover? But the press just can't help it. They'll say, oh, you know, this is a situation where our principles need to take a backseat to the need to promote a more harmonious society and diversity and multiculturalism. Okay. When you read through this uh, this piece in CBS, uh, look, there is a degree of they're just reporting on this. I understand that. And this phenomenon does seem to be growing, but there's no judgment in this. And there is certainly an effort to make people think, you know, what's the big what's the big deal here? What could be the problem? And I think, unfortunately, because so much ground has been seeded in recent years over things like, you know, is what is the best circumstance for a child to grow up in? What is the best circumstance? Two parents together married in a household. That is the best. And by all the social science, all the now people will argue very strenuously over whether 
the best, the the ideal, I should say, the ideal circumstances for a child to have a married mother and married a mother and a father married to each other. Um, same sex couples would clearly take that as uh, as offensive, and people will argue over where because now we finally have same sex marriage legal. There can be more study over what the long term implications are, and is is there a way to even really adjudicate that? But I do know this: uh, broken homes. Homes with divorce, homes with acrimonious, an acrimonious relationship between parents who uh, split and separate is it's damaging for children. This is just all the all the studies of this. Every child psychologist, adult psychologist, I'll tell you, it's very damaging, has really negative implications. Doesn't mean that people can't overcome this and lead successful and happy lives and have good relations with their parents, of course. But if you're looking for what is ideal and you want at least to have the system be geared toward the replication of the ideal as much as possible, which is two people together for the purposes of raising a child or children. Now, some people can't have kids. And we get into all these specifics. I'm talking about in the aggregate, what makes the most sense? Well, you're going to hear more and more about how maybe in the aggregate, what makes the most sense is having even more parents. Maybe you should have three. Maybe you should have six. In fact, the, the question that I would really want to ask at the next Democrat debate is, why can't polygamy be legal? Remember, when you started, there was there was this big debate when you redefine marriage away from one man and one woman to now it's, you know, it, the, the, the genders are irrelevant. It's just two people. Okay, why is it just two people? Do Democrats have an answer for that? I mean, I, I'm, I'm posing that the answer, I'm proposing that the answer is because that has been shown to be the most stable and beneficial circumstance for the raising of of children but what would democrats say about this what would uh, what would bernie sanders or kamala harris say if asked why should polygamy be illegal i'd be very curious i don't think that they really have an answer <laughs> i think that they would say well because the because the law is the law that's it's something like that a total dodge of the issue there i'm telling you the forces of the left right now just like we've been saying Look at how fast the debate over transgenderism has moved. Years ago, it was, we would never, we would never, this is the left would say this, the activists, the media, uh, we, we would never suggest that a 10-year-old boy should be using the locker room and bathroom facilities of a 10-year-old girl because of gender dysphoria. We would never do that. Oh, no, then the Obama administration mandated that. And I believe it was South Carolina that was told, you either obey our, our uh, Department of Education policy or else you lose your federal funding. And now we're at a place where we're supposed to be thankful, as I discussed with you yesterday, if a seven-year-old who's in the middle of a bit, speak about, I talk about a bitter custody dispute between two parents in Texas, we're supposed to think, oh, well, it's not that bad if the seven-year-old is put on puberty blockers, which by the way, would cause sterility, I believe, even if they stop taking the puberty blockers. Can I, that is one long-term and possibly permanent uh, thing that would happen but we're supposed to be oh well it's only maybe in three or four years the pu it'd only be about 10 or 11 maybe 12 when the puberty blockers would actually be taken so why is everyone getting so upset about this oh is that where things are here's a here's a prediction that i could make for you all um you will see i believe in relatively short order a show you will see some scripted most likely a comedy you'll see efforts from Hollywood, 
to make polyamory seem polyamory seem not just a an acceptable choice from a the more libertarian perspective of we're not the morality police people can do what they like it's fine no no that's different than what i'm saying you will see a show and i think soon uh, where people living a polyamorous lifestyle meaning that they do not they do not practice even if they're married they do not practice sexual monogamy uh, where it's just as normal as anything else totally fine kids are happy people are laughing about stuff they're self-aware it's a little unusual but you know it's gonna this is one of the very uh, powerful ways that the left can dominate cultural discussion through entertainment you will see this i believe through entertainment there'll be a show and there might already be a show by the way i don't, I don't know i mean i'm not that up on pop culture but I think you will see a show in, in short order that is meant to make everyone feel like polyamory is just fine. Polygamous, uh, polygamy is, uh, you know, they won't say, they won't get to the polygamy level yet, though. They want to make polyamory seem like it's just, these are just consenting adults. What's the problem here? Well, there's a difference between saying that it should be, I mean, you can't make really, well, some states actually adultery is technically illegal. Uh, you're probably not going to be able to police people's sexual morality in this way. But do we have to embrace it? Do we have to think that this is something we can't debate, discuss, and feel like this leads to a lot of hurt? This leads to a lot of disrespect, um, a lot of jealousy and pain. And what does it mean for the kids that are brought into these situations? Um, do we have to just take this as another another choice that people can make, like they're going into an ice cream store and getting a different flavor? Is that really the way that this is going to be? position for us? I think the answer is yes, it will be. So get ready for it. You're going to see a show that's, you know, my my three moms and my four dads or something like that. You're going to see a show that's meant to make this whole thing seem like, you know, it's it's on the cutting edge, man. This is where things are now. It's really sad. We We are insisting on unlearning many of the lessons of our history as, as human beings and as, and as a species. We're, we insist on just forgetting about this stuff and saying, well, let's just try this and let's just put our hand on the burning stove again here and see if this is going to be a problem. Um, and it's a time in this country where I have to say we we are increasingly on the defensive about all kinds of traditional morality. In fact, if you were to if you were to give me your assessment right now, is traditional Judeo-Christian morality on the upswing or the downswing in America? I think we all know what side of that we would we would have to say is the case. And here we have yet another. By the way, look, just do a quick search if you want for articles on polyamory in the news. A lot of it, a lot of it going on, trying to make sure that everyone knows it's, it's, they're really not. They're they're just like you, except. They have multiple sex partners, even though they're married. Strange. This is a disgraceful stunt. I go, I'll go further than SE would go, and I'll say this looked like a clan group that is assembled outside of a jail trying to get the sheriff to let them in so they could deliver their own justice against somebody who's inside. It's not a good look for our democracy. It's not a good look for the Republican Party. Forty-seven of them apparently are already already Republicans are already on these committees that are in this impeachment investigation. Out of 197 total House Republicans, that's a quarter of the entire Republican caucus is already represented, and they're and they're 
creating these political stunts in order to throw off their the attention. They're not focused on the issue of why Trump is being impeached. Can I just say one thing to you, Keith, respectfully? Uh, I, I think the Klan metaphor is a, was a little strong, and I'm not, I don't want to get into the whole thing, but earlier this week we were talking about lynching and using that word lightly, and I, I you know, I'm not going to debate the history with, no, with I it. I understand. I use it purposely um, because I felt like there's, there's a visual problem, too, to have these group of almost all white men going in in defense of the white man who is already, I think, in, in by most accounts, a racist. Wow. Even left-wing activist Jake Tapper there is like, hey, could you not refer to the bunch of Republican congressmen who are walking into a part of the Capitol building where Congress is as a Klan group? Pretty, pretty disgraceful, pretty ugly stuff to say over at CNN. Do you think that he's disciplined, by the way? you think that he, that, that uh, what's that guy's name, Boy, Boykin, Keith Boykin? Do you think that he gets in any trouble? No, no, because he was trashing people supporting Trump. So it doesn't really matter. Say whatever you want. I like that though. Jake, Jake Tapper, who can be a, a vicious and surly fellow, uh, was like, well, you know, I think that maybe it's a little strong. Ooh, Jake, you're so brave. We, you know, we have whole fact checking units now we ha- that we didn't have four years ago, right? We have uh, uh, people devoted to that. I think we've got to continue to do that. Uh, uh, I think that, that pursuit of the truth is what matters. What's the number one thing that when, when you see it on our screen, you get ticked off about. What's the biggest thing we do wrong? Um, what's the biggest thing we do wrong? Um, I, I don't know. Uh, what is the biggest thing we do wrong? Uh, I don't know, Brian, what's the biggest thing we do wrong? You cover... Overuse the breaking news Oh, banner. that, yeah, that's easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. We're always saying it's breaking news. Well, that's, that's, you know, yes. Yeah, we do. Okay, fine. But that's like... That's, I don't know if that's that important in the big scheme of things, right? <laughs> what's the, the biggest thing we do wrong? What's the, what's the one thing? Come on. You had little mini-me Zucker there talking to uh, Big Zucker. And uh, Big, Big Zucker doesn't have any, any concerns about what CNN does. The pursuit of the truth is what he says they're doing at CNN. Really what's, gone, what's happened at CNN and... I don't know the corporate bosses that I don't even I think Time AT and T or Time Warner or somebody owns CNN. I forget who it is now. Uh, they've got no problem with the fact that CNN has been turned into really a a platform for the personal uh, feuding of Jeff Zucker with President Donald Trump. That, that, that's what has happened. And this this is deeply personal to Jeff Zucker that Donald Trump has gone after him so much in public, has undermined the mythology around what a great uh, producer and you know TV executive Jeff Zucker is. But this was some CNN event yesterday. I just thought it was so funny to have the in-house apologist for all things CNN, Brad Stelter, there. I was like, I really, you know, I'm just trying to just hold the mirror up to the media and just be real honest about what's going on here. And to have that and then have the boss sitting there on the stage and have a discussion about journalism and the state of media today. I mean, we just had before we played a CNN analyst who says it was like a Klan meeting. I mean, this, you know, any slander that you want to use against Trump, Trump supporters, anything you say against white male Republicans, this is all going to be considered not a big deal over at CNN because it's an organization of activists. 
And we've really reached a point where if someone doesn't recognize that, they're just not very smart. It's not an opinion thing anymore. CNN is not an objective news source. Now, people are going to say, oh, but Buck, what would you say about Fox? I'd say Fox has objective journalists who work there and opinion people. And they call them opinion people. This is not complicated, right? You look at the big names, the primetime hosts at Fox News, they all say the, the, they support the president. These are their opinions. You ask Anderson Cooper, uh, Don Lemon, Bro Cuomo, any of them. Wolf Blitzer, if you know he can, if you can keep his attention long enough to get a straight answer from him, what's going on? Uh, you ask any of them. Are you? Are you? Is your job every night to show up and give an oppositional point of view to this administration? Every one of them. Well, first of all, they would try to. They'd never put themselves in a position. CNN would never let them be in a position where any of them have to answer that question. But if you did manage to get them to sit down long enough to answer that question, they would all say. That, uh, that no, they don't view themselves as being oppositional to the president. Uh, and then they would turn on the extra smug because they'd say, but our real job here is to get the truth. And Trump is waging war on truth. Therefore, it is in our defense of truth that we clash with Trump. Oh, isn't that so convenient? Isn't that such a, a cute and tidy way of maintaining their journalist creds while being part of the hashtag hate Trump resistance? Uh, and in case you were wondering, I mean, I made I made the comparison to what's going on, what goes on. I've, I've never been a Fox employee. I go on Fox sometimes. I, ha- I have been a CNN employee, which is what's so funny. I've never been a Fox employee. I've never been paid a dollar by Fox News. Um, been paid by CNN for a couple of years. And there's no hesitation whatsoever from Zucker to just trash Fox. And I would note, you know, well, let, let's hear it first and then we'll... We'll talk about it a bit. Uh, please play six. Hey, they say they have dozens of great journalists. Yeah, well, you repeat that line a lot, and I think it's one of the mistakes you make in your journalism. And I'm serious about this. Yeah, because, and, and you know, I've, I, I, you know I, I believe that, uh, listen, are there a handful of, of really good journalists in that organization? Sure. Is there one or two really good anchors at that organization? Sure. Uh, but that doesn't make it a news organization, and it doesn't, make it, it, a, it doesn't make it a journalistic enterprise. Listen, it's, you know, I, I, I've said before, it's, uh, it, it's, it's akin to state-run TV. I think it's morphed into conspiracy TV. State-run TV. The head of a major cable news network is calling one of the other ones state-run TV. Conspiracy TV, even. Wow, not a lot of... Not a lot of journalist camaraderie here. And Zucker can order around the CNN comrades as much as he wants, and they'll do whatever he says. But there's no sense of they're in this with us, which is why I'd also note that when there have been a few, there have been some people at Fox News in the past who have stood up for CNN journos who are attacking the president, getting involved in those feuds. Look, that's their call. If they want to stick up for their fellow journalists, that's fine. I would just note that I've always said, don't expect it to be reciprocated, though. Don't expect any reciprocation. They're not going to do that for Fox. The one network that manages to, you know, what I always think is so interesting is what would the conversation be if Fox News did not exist? And what would happen if you asked a bunch of liberals about this? So, so they really think that what's the network that's fair to the president? What is the network that a, an honest, observant human being would say if Fox News wasn't around? 
was giving, and some of you are probably saying One America, and that's that's like nice, but I mean, I, I mean a network that has full cable distribution in 100 million homes and uh, has a budget to compete in news gathering in these other areas, right? I mean, you know, I know people at One America, there's some great folks there. I'm not putting it down at all. I'm just saying it's not of the same uh, funding and reach stature as as Fox is. And I worked at the Blaze for many years. They do amazing things. The Blaze is a digital a digital organization. It's not really a cable organization. Uh, so what is the what would the answer be though? And what's amazing is that they would be more comfortable that all these journos, that Zucker himself, I'm sure if you ask, would be more comfortable if there was not a single news outlet in the country that represented the basic political beliefs of half the country and that that and that half the country that is Republican should be forced to choke down to stomach the garbage that is peddled by we're talking about conspiracy theorists. What about Rachel Maddow's show? Crazy conspiracy theory stuff every night. Ooh, and then there's we're doing this long monologue and this thing about Russia and that thing and this oligarch and that person and, and it never goes anywhere. It's just all hocus pocus. It's all just the the nonsense magic show. It's true of all these MSNBC shows. Oh, the walls are closing in on Trump any moment now. They consider themselves journalists. They really think that it would be a better and just look at it from the from the point of view of the national political discussion. They really think it would be better if there wasn't a single channel that truly represented Donald Trump's not just point of view, the political party. And I don't even think I mean, there are people. Look, Shep Smith just left Fox News. Shep Smith was a liberal, right? That this is understood. By the way, Jeff Zucker was saying in an interview this week as well that he might try to hire Shep Smith. So that tells you a lot. But yeah, Shep, Shep Smith is a liberal. I know he's a newsman, but he's a liberal. It's very obvious from the way from what what upsets him, the way he covers things. It's quite clear what his political inclinations were. And I would just note who is the who is the pro-Trump conservative that has any visibility in their own show at CNN? The answer is nobody. Who's the pro-Trump conservative who has any visibility in their own show at MSNBC? The answer is nobody. And I don't even get me started on like ABC and CBS and, and NBC, the big NBC. Uh, they, they, don't even make a, they don't even make an effort, no pretense that both sides of that perspective would be given. They want to go back to an era of total left-wing information dominance. That's what they would like to do. And the fact that they haven't been able to do it is obviously a source of constant frustration. I mean, I think what Zucker was saying here about Fox is unfair and wrong and really petty and shows you what kind of person we're dealing with here, a, a petty and a nasty person, um, to say that everybody in that... There are plenty... I know liberals who work at Fox. There are plenty of liberals who work at Fox, actually. Uh, I know very few conservatives who can work at CNN, and they are conservatives that would never tell a soul at work that they are conservative because they know what the ramifications of that could be. Um, anyway, this this is just a it's a moment where you look at the media climate, and it's also why I have no I have no uh, problem being particularly harsh about CNN because the place has completely lost its mind, and from the top down, they're saying they're saying terrible things about other journalists that are unfair. They're maligning other people in their industry. They're doing it because they've got Trump derangement syndrome and everything is about Trump. They've destroyed whatever credibility CNN has. I mean, I'm at a point now where when someone tells me they think CNN is an objective news source that it's just doing journalism, I think less of their perceptive abilities. 
I just think that they're not particularly bright. I, I've reached that point. I don't know what else to say. Or maybe they just don't know because they don't watch much and they see it just in the airport. But for somebody who watches it every night, for somebody who is a a committed CNN watcher to think that what they're getting is not a constant stream of anti-Trump propaganda is uh, an absurdity. I mean, I'm not even I don't even see it as a um, alternate viewpoint of the situation. I view it as just kind of crazy. That's where we are. Do you have over there Brad Stelter who's doing whatever he's told to do and he's got his own show though and is really top journalist. You know, here's another, who's the big intellect over at CNN? Who's the, who's the really impressive figure? I will say this. Rachel Maddow is very smart. I watched enough, heard enough, read enough. She's a, she's a smart lady. Fine. Disagree with her. Think she panders to her audience, whatever. She's not, she's, she's a, she's a smart lady. Who's supposed to be the, you know, you have a lot of kind of glorified, you know, Saks Fifth Avenue models on TV over at, uh, over at CNN. Not a lot of intellectual firepower over there. I'm just going to say it. A lot of guys who kind of look the part. I'm a newsman. And you're like, well, okay. So what? I'm just, it's not an impressive bunch. Not a, very self-righteous and sanctimonious. Not an impressive bunch at all. All right. I've got this whole, I've purged all this. CNN out of my system. I withdrew the United States from the terrible one-sided Paris Climate Accord. was a total disaster for our country. And I thought when I did that, it would be very tough. And all I do is get applauded for that move so much. Uh, It would have been so bad for our country. They were taking away our wealth. It was almost as though it was meant to hurt the competitiveness, really competitiveness of the United States. So we did away with that one. The Paris Accord would have been a giant transfer of American wealth to foreign nations that are responsible for most of the world's pollution. The president was right to pull out of the Paris Climate Agreement. I know that people still, I, I hear that the pundits and they'll all say, you know, oh my gosh, look at the terrible things he's done. Like he pulled us out of the Paris climate agreement. The agreement that had no enforcement mechanisms whatsoever, where everybody was going to be self-grading on how well they were doing to stay within the bounds of the, it's just a joke, folks. It's ridiculous. It's all just a big PR stunt for the various governments involved and for some of the governments, an opportunity to try to siphon money away from the developed world to their own economies. I don't think that's a good idea. I mean, you know, never mind paying for the health care of illegal aliens. I'm mean, paying for the health care of people from, you know, the Philippines to Botswana to Argentina to, you know, you name it. I mean, no, I'm sorry. I, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think that we should be paying money, really uh, paying out money to the developing world so that they have an excuse to not advance their economies using technologies that are readily available right now which is what they should be doing which is what they are going to do it's what india and china are doing the whole thing's absurd i also like though when trump decides that he's going to just double down on all this and be like we're great we're the best we have the best economy we have the best environment right now with best in-. i gotta work on you know i started to sound a little bit like the the guy the teacher from south park he's like okay yeah no that was we went my trump went off the rails i know when it does Okay, we have the bet. No, I, I gotta. I can't really. You got. You can't just do Trump off the top. You, I gotta work on the Trump. 
the Elizabeth Warren, I think, has been has gotten very good for those who care about these things. And Bernie's always been good. Got to yell, but I wish you could all see the hand gesture that I'm doing right now, because that's the the true Bernie Sanders. You have to have this hand that's wildly flapping around in front of your face and then points at people. That's how that's how you really get the Bernie Sanders going. Um, but oh, wait, Trump says we're at a great point environmentally. I'll let the president himself say it instead of my version of him saying it. Play clip one, please. Our air right now and our water right now is as clean as it's been in decades. Shutting down American producers. The Paris Accord would have been shutting down American producers with excessive regulatory restrictions like you would not believe, while allowing foreign producers to pollute with impunity. They were allowed to do what they were doing. I'm proud that today the United States is among the very cleanest air and drinking water on Earth, anywhere on Earth. And we're going to keep it that way because everybody in this room, you're in the energy business, but you want the same clean water and same clean air that I do, that my family does, your family. So I just want to thank you. It's uh, really incredible. But we're at a very, very good point environmentally right now. I think what he's saying is true. I'm sure the environment, if you looked at any impact study, which, uh, the real, real pollution, which is a concern, clean water, these things are better now than they've been, I'd argue, probably than ever before. But no one wants to hear that. Instead, I see this article going around about how offshore windmills, offshore wind turbines, not windmills, sorry, <laughs> that's really old school, offshore wind turbines could generate enough electricity, CNN has here, to power every home and business on Earth. Ooh, I guess we've solved our green energy needs. Here's the problem. The study says, yeah, we could do that. You'd have to build all the turbines, though, and also, there's no plan for how to get the electricity from the turbine to a grid or to store it. But this is the solution. It's the solution if you don't know what the heck you're talking about. But green energy people, the advocates for it out there you hear in, the, in political life, they, they don't know what they're talking about because it's all nonsense president, which is why I supported the inquiry. I think that inquiry needs to be done in a very narrowly focused way, and it must be done transparently. I don't know what's going on uh, in those closed doors. We as members of Congress don't have access to the information that is being shared. And I think that the American people deserve to know exactly what the facts are, what the evidence is that's being presented as this inquiry goes on. Why is it all of a sudden the left is comfortable with secret government processes that are specifically dealing with political questions. Now, that was Tulsi Gabbard there, who was on, uh, she was on Hannity's show last night. And she's willing to say that, you know, remember, she hates Trump. She's a progressive. She's a leftist. I do think that I need to repeat that sometimes because it starts to sound like I'm just like, oh, aloha. I want to go surf to the polling place and vote for Tulsi. No, 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 no. I think she's very bad on most policy issues. But on some core principles, she's one of the very few Democrats you'll come across who's willing to say something's not right here. And holding this impeachment inquiry in secret and making sure that the only thing the public finds out are the pre-approved, predetermined leaks from uh, people like Adam Schiff or whomever Schiff has told, you know, has 
deputized in his propaganda campaign to be the one who actually leaks the information, that there's something wrong about all of this. Transparency was supposed to be one of those concerns, one of those principles where it doesn't matter what political party we're talking about here. We are, we are led to believe that this is a bipartisan need. We all must have transparency. But then there isn't transparency for whatever reason. Then it's all very, oh, but we can't have them sharing information. The witnesses will share information or something. Says who? Based on what? I think it's uh, it's utter nonsense, by the way. Lindsey Graham is getting feisty these days. I like feisty Lindsey Graham. The Lindsey Graham who went off on the Kavanaugh ambush, right? the Kavanaugh uh, destruction campaign based on lies. As I've always said, still one of the more prouder moments on this show I've had when dealing with any topic was just how much we were having... No, none of it. We were not we're not taking any of the propaganda on, oh, well, maybe these people are telling the truth about Kavanaugh. We should hear them out. Uh-uh. We heard them. They were lying. Uh, but when you look at what Lindsey Graham is willing to say now, I have to say I, I, I like some of what Lindsey Graham's got going on here. You got reporters who are trying to push the very the narrative is what Trump did is terrible. This Ukraine phone call is terrible. And let's bring a bunch of other people along. We already know what was said. I I don't know what else. If the crime is the phone call, allegedly, then I need to know why other people telling us about the phone call that we have the transcript for is supposed to change our minds. But it's just really meant to be, ah, everyone's yelling and it must be really important because they're all yelling about it. Here is what Lindsey Graham says when when challenged on this point. Play clip 13, please. Are you okay with what was came out in the Bill Taylor testimony that the president that the president apparently had directed the military aid to be withheld in exchange for a public declaration of investigations that could help him politically? Did he talk to the president? He talked to Ambassador Sondland, who talked to the president. Oh, that's hearsay. So here's what I can't. You don't get think over. he's trustworthy? No, no, here's what I can't get over. If Rudy Giuliani had a 15-page statement saying he did nothing wrong, would you want to know more? Would you accept that statement? I've got nothing against Bill Taylor. It's the process. You're asking me, do I believe something based on a statement that hasn't been tested? Yeah. You see, there's a reason why in our system, and certainly why in the criminal justice system, but any system that is about getting to the truth, it's not just here is one person presenting information and no one else can give countering information no one else can challenge them no one else can push any other thing it, there's a reason why we would understand that to be an insufficient process for getting to the truth but democrats are not trying to get to the truth in this whole endeavor they are trying to take down a president that they hate and the whole process is being constructed as they go, this is an ad hoc process. There's nothing that they've really established beforehand that lets us know where all of this is going, other than it's going to be impeachment. And the media is going to be, oh, my gosh, it's going to be like the super. Uh, can I not? I can't say this super. I can say su- I can say Super Bowl on the radio. It's a word. They can't. I hope. I don't know. You know, if you used to ever borrow the Dave Letterman top 10 lists, they would actually sue you. 
they were really aggressive about that from what I understand. So you can't, you couldn't play it over air. You couldn't, anyway. Um, it's going to be the, the really big football game that everybody watches at the end of the season of impeachment processes when they finally have the impeachment vote and then the media is going to be like, oh my gosh, look at this. Who could have seen this coming? We've all seen it coming. They're going to they're impeach the president. Of course. Of course they are. And they're going to do it because they hate him and because they think that it will help them get real. They help a Democrat get elected in 2020 because their camp, their uh, candidates right now are weak and they know this. Lindsay, this is like this is like turning into the Lindsey Graham segment. I didn't even realize we we're going to do this. We got a little more Lindsey here. When you compare the way this is playing out to the impeachment of Bill Clinton, oh, producer Mark, I don't think you understand. I just, I just wanted to give all the ladies of America just you know, I just want to hug them and keep them close and show them Bill Clinton can he can feel America's pain. Uh, Lindsey Graham says this about the Clinton impeachment comparison. Play 14. I was involved in impeachment of President Clinton. I know this sounds weird, but Clinton, <laughs> look what he did. What he did is he had a team that was organized, had legal minds that could understand what was being said versus the legal proceedings in question, and they were on message every day. The President Clinton defended himself, but he never stopped being president. And I think one of the reasons that he survived is that the public may not have liked what the president had done, but believed that he was still able to do his job. And as he governed during impeachment, I think that was probably the single best thing he did, quite frankly. And yet, how much talk do you see in the media of the fact that Trump continues being president has been defending his decision on Syria all over the place, has been doing rallies, has been very much engaged in the day-to-day of the presidency. And I would argue that this president has had unfair obstacles put in his way, has been carrying burdens while in office that no other president has had to carry. Uh, a, A media siege that started day one. I mean, the impeachment of this president really began in November of 2016. Now they're just putting a little bit more meat on the bone, but they were planning on doing this all along. There's never been a moment, I think, the Democrats were not going to impeach this president. They have to impeach this president. Uh, it is a, a need, a deep, it's almost an existential need for Democrats at this point. Who are they if they would not impeach this president? Why do they exist if not to impeach this president and that's why this this process which is just patently unfair i mean it couldn't be any more clear that this is being set up to hurt the president against his interests against any any basic notion of fair play uh people in the media are just like what do you mean it doesn't what do you mean it doesn't seem fair i don't i don't see a problem here at all it looks looks totally fair to me yeah, because they're rooting for one team. We all know they are. I think there are many journalists in particular who would view the impeachment and removal of the president as the proudest achievement of their lifetime, even if they played some small part in it. That's how much they view this as an essential goal. They view this as something that absolutely must be done in order to set right the republic. Um, 
I think that the president has shown an unbelievable resilience in the face of all of this. And I do have days where I wonder if he just, not that he would ever quit because he's scared or he can't handle it anymore, but he would quit because, you know, he just doesn't need it. I don't think he will. I think he likes being president. I think he's really taken to the role. But some days you just have to wonder how any human being could deal with so much vitriol and hatred and and these efforts to to get him, to get this president, not just to make sure he doesn't win re-election, but to really punish him for having the temerity. You know, this president, this president Trump has been has been uppity in a sense against the establishment that he would come along without ever having held office, not do what they tell him to do, by and large, not speak the way they've told him to speak. And yet have success in office, change things, confront China, have a booming economy. Oh, here we have the president himself talking about, for example, how is the economy going? Because you won't hear about it for most of the media outlets out there. Play clip three, please. We have tremendous economic might, far more than we had, relatively speaking, when I took office. When I took office, everybody said that China would be the largest economy in the world within the first two years. And we picked up trillions and trillions of dollars of worth, and China has lost trillions of dollars of worth. So we are far and away the most powerful economy in the world. And if you have a smart president, you'll stay there. Well, I guess we'll see. But the economy is just humming along. Biggest problem with the economy right now that you'll hear people talk about, can it really stay this good? Can unemployment remain this low? Can the markets be this strong? Can 401ks be gaining at this pace? I mean, this these are the questions that people ask now. Not what we were hearing under the Obama administration, even in the second term, which is, well, you know, America's best days are behind it. Growth is going to be slow. We have all these reasons why foreign countries are out competing us. And no, you, you don't. You don't hear that anymore. And you were hearing it was the Obama economy for the first two years, but then that just became an untenable talking point. for. So now what do you hear? You just don't hear anything. You just don't hear anything about it. The single issue, when you ask people who are going to be voting, what is the single most important thing to you? Every election cycle, they will say the economy. Maybe healthcare is number two, but the economy is number one. You see any coverage of this? Anyone talking about this? Anyone saying, how did Trump manage to beat all the expectations so much such that he would be a, a top president when it comes to economic man- management. Ah, wow. The best we've had, what, since Reagan? I think that's probably fair to say. Um, let's talk a little about China. China! You've got to have that drop. You know what I mean? We've got to have that drop ready. I, I get sad every... I will get it back. Thank you. It's like my favorite. That and Antifa! <laughs> Buck slap. We also need to bring back the buck slap. I just did. Uh, thank you. But I, I need to find a commie bear. You know, we made that buck slap. Like we cobbled together a few different sounds to get that to go. It wasn't even just one. So it's really. Wow. A, yeah, it's really an original. What an amazing production that is. Thank you. Yeah. I've taught myself a little audio editing. I will have you know. Do a little bit here and there. Can drop it in. Emphasis on the little bit. <sighs> like I was saying, we have some discussion of china coming up here nike stores in china actually removed their houston rockets merchandise from their shelves to join the chinese government in protest against the rockets general manager's seven word tweet which read fight for freedom stand with hong kong 
Nike promotes itself as a so-called social justice champion. But when it comes to Hong Kong, it prefers checking its social conscience at the door. Mike Pence. Not letting it go that Nike as a company believes in taking a stand. But is it really taking a stand on principle if you benefit financially from the stand and if you would refuse to take a stand if it were to harm you financially isn't that just self-interest you could even argue maybe it's good business but it's not wokeness at least not as we have been led to believe wokeness should be practiced it's not brave it's not courage what is it exactly then what is it that we need to understand here about nike now charles barkley I remember watching Sir Charles, which is what he was called because of, I believe, maybe it was a Nike campaign or a Reebok campaign. I can't remember back in the day. I did watch a lot of basketball growing up. I actually played basketball growing up. I was pretty decent. It's pretty good, kind of a little point guard, you know. Um, I was going to say in the mold of John Stockton or Steve Kerr, I could dribble and I could shoot. But um, isn't Steve Kerr the one now who just hates America? Am I right? Yes, he's the head coach of the Golden State Warriors. He's the one who hates America. Um, He's very woke. Anyway, Charles Barkley, you never know what you're going to get with him. Sometimes he has he has moments of, of analytic brilliance, not just about sports, but about things in general. I've heard him say very funny, very entertaining things, very insightful things, in fact. And he's not afraid. He'll say whatever. But I got to say, disagree with Sir Charles here, as he has some harsh words for the vice president of the United States. Play clip 20, please. Well, let me say this. <laughs> First of all, man, Vice President Prince needs to shut the hell up, uh, number one. All American companies are doing business in China. All American companies are doing business in China. I thought the criticism of Commissioner Silver and LeBron James was unfair. Listen, Daryl Morey, who I like, he should have... He can say whatever he wants to, but there are consequences. But I don't understand why these holy endowed politicians, if they so want to worry about China, won't they stop all transactions with China? President Trump has been and been arguing with tariffs for China for the last two years. But I think it's unfair for them to do all their business in China and just because this thing happened, try to make the NBA and our players look bad. All American companies do business in China, period. Now, I think Mr. Barkley here is leaving out some important components of this. For one, he... Yes, all American companies, I'm not that's actually not true that all of them, but American companies are doing business with China. That is by and large a true statement. And yet not all American companies hold themselves up as champions of social justice and and individual rights and and you know, human dignity, human rights, whatever it may be. Nike does. Nike makes it very very public, runs campaigns about how they do care about those things. So then I think it's fair to ask, okay, so do they only care about those things, though, when there's no consequence for caring about it? That's what Charles Barkley is missing here. You know, LeBron James did not have to speak out on the issue of the Maury tweet in China, but LeBron James didn't just say something. He said that Maury doesn't know what he's talking about. And Maury does know what he's talking about, and he's right. So did we just leave that? We, we push that off to the side? So I I would just know that it's important that we not lose sight of what really has gone on here, what the reality of this uh, China situation 
truly is. Let's hear again just real quick from uh, Vice President Pence. Play clip 10, please. And if China will step forward and seize this unique moment in history to start anew by ending the trade practices that have taken advantage of the American people for far too long, I know President Donald Trump is ready and willing to begin that new future. Trump was right about China, has been right about China, doesn't get nearly enough credit for it. Pence is right about China as well. They need to change course. We need to be strong. We need to confront them in ways that are constructive. The fight is on. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. We made ours go up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. It is time for the Roll Call. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. If you want to send the email, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. And do not forget, my friends, uh, to, first of all, follow me on Instagram, Buck Sexton. It's very easy. Those of you watching the show, listening to the show, uh, I post things on Instagram, occasionally puppy photos, backstage stuff from from the Freedom Hut, from Fox, from wherever I am. Um Maybe once in a while I'll take a a photo of my avocado toast just because I'm cool, you know, right? Isn't that what the cool kids do? They take photos of their avocado toast. You have uh, celiac? Yeah. So I'm not sure how you're eating avocado toast. Oh, gluten-free bread, my Um, man. Sounds gross. It's actually not bad. I'm sorry. Yeah. But, you know. I'm glad I could educate you, though. Thank you. All right. So with that, we go to uh, the inbox here for... Everything that the team is sending along. We start with uh, Christopher. Uh, He writes, hey, Buck, longtime listener. Love the show, but I want to take you to task on a few issues in a friendly, cordial manner. Uh Uh-oh. Dun, dun, dun. You often cite nepotism as something that Trump can rightfully be criticized for. I disagree. Nepotism means to show favoritism to family members. For example, there's an open position for supervisor in a business and the boss gives a position to their son regardless of his or her qualifications. That's not Trump. Trump has simply has family members as advisors because one, he trusts them and two, they truly seem to be competent people who do their jobs well. I don't know, but I doubt they're being paid and isn't it as though and it, it isn't as though Ivanka is taking some position that could have gone to someone outside the family. The president can have as many advisors as he wants, nothing wrong with it. Um Christopher, I just think you I think you're wrong. <laughs> I think you're about as off as one can be on nepotism. Uh, how do we know that they're good at the jobs, by the way? How do we know they would have gotten the jobs if their dad wasn't the president? Um, I mean, let's let's be serious here for a moment. I understand people feel very strongly the president's embattled. He needs people around him that he trusts. But uh, everyone's going to trust family members. Everyone's going to think their family members can do a great job in an advisory role. How do you gauge whether someone's a good advisor in this role? What, what is their work product? No. And you have to remember that this creates problems inside the White House because anybody who would criticize any advisor who's a family member is doing so at their peril. So you don't have a normal work environment. You don't have a situation where ideas and the best ideas will be hashed out in a way that you can be honest honest about things. Um, I mean, it is the definition of nepotism is to be the president of the United States and say that I'm going to have a child as a senior advisor in the White House. It just is. I, I don't know. I mean, we, we could 
We can try to come up with some other reason or explanation for it. But if that's not nepotism, my friends, unfortunately, there's no such thing as nepotism. It's not illegal. He's allowed to do it. I get it. Just get ready for, you know, President Chelsea Clinton putting her husband as like czar of your life. Just get ready for it. And then we're going to have to sit around and say, okay, I, no problem there. I guess, you know, I guess he's a great advisor. Nothing to do with the fact that he's her husband or whoever. I'm just saying, whatever the next the Chelsea Clinton, that got your attention, didn't it? should. So anyway, Chris, um, we, we, uh, I, I agree. I disagree with you 100% on the nepotism disagreement. So there's that. All right. But thank you for writing in and your kind words are appreciated. Number two, you cite the lack of building a wall. As far as the walls that have been rebuilt that we don't count, he isn't going around replacing perfectly acceptable barriers with new ones. He's building, uh, he's rebuilding walls. Border Patrol says we need them because they're dilapidated, wholly useless, et cetera, et cetera. Um, okay. Yeah, I've said this on the air that the rebuilt wall is an improvement. But Christopher, the president didn't say that he was just going to rebuild the walls in areas that are better. That was not what he said. We know what he said. He said he was going to build a wall from sea to sea was really what he said. He said we're going to build a wall all the way across the southern border. That was the promise. He maybe wouldn't be able to do that in four years. Fine. But we haven't built really any wall in areas where there was no wall before then and there was a very limited stretch of the border where there is currently or a limited stretch i should say a border where there's currently wall so the promise was to build a wall across the border where it is needed we are way short of that so if we're going to hold them to his promises we need to be honest about that um uh you said number three you said the other day that you could he couldn't corral the votes to overturn the aca but how is that his fault we fell one vote short. I think Trump has many qualities screaming for critique, but in these instances you cite are completely unfair. Keep up the fight, shields high. And a shout out to producer Mark from Chris. Uh, Chris, I appreciate it, man. I, w- I would want to see a second email from you because you're basically citing areas of criticism that I've had for Trump. And you say there are legitimate areas of criticism, but these aren't them. Well, what are they? Follow up with me on that one. Let me know. And if you're just going to tell me that the tweets and the language, there's more than that, my friend. So what are the legitimate areas of criticism for Trump's presidency? Uh, you named some of the ones that I criticize, obviously. So you do listen to the show, and I appreciate that. Um, all right, let's see. Noah, right, Buck, I'm a 15-year-old living in Chicago. All right, Chicago. Try to listen as much as I can. I work a part-time job uh, that pays eight fifty an hour. I was wondering why raising minimum wage is bad. Also, what do you think about lowering the age to work? I found it hard to find a job at my age. What do you think about that issue? I listen on Apple Podcasts, Shields High. Well, Noah, it's great to have uh, some some Team Buck uh, youngin listening to the show, young 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 folks listening to the show, which I'm very happy about. Uh, as to why minimum raising minimum wage, so raising minimum wage is very popular, including among really everybody. It's popular among Democrats, popular among Republicans. The problem is that labor has a certain value in a labor market. And when you artificially inflate that value by declaring what the wage, what the instead of what the market sets the wage at, you declare what the wage will be, there are always other consequences. That is a government market intervention. So and maybe an easy way to think about this would be if minimum wage is just a question of paying people more. Why not pay everybody? And by the way, Noah, it's great that you're doing this job and making money at a young age. I wish I I did some tutoring and I made some money that way in high school. And then I I worked when I was in college for the college to make some money. 
so you know, I, I but I understand that it's really important you you establish you want to do things at a young age where you're getting money for them, so you appreciate money more and you have a sense of what do you want to do to get paid, and how much do you really want to get paid, and you know, make life choices with that in mind. Uh, but let's say that if your job uh, with your job they paid you instead of eight fifty an hour, they paid you a hundred dollars an hour. What would happen? Okay, will there be a the payroll would show that there's less money or there's more money rather coming out of the overall revenue of that business every month. And if it were substantial enough, then maybe they would have to fire somebody else because they don't have the money, right? There's only so much money coming in for the business. And if they can't pay some other person because they're paying you $100 an hour, not not picking on you, Noah, but you know, if they're paying you $100 an hour, they might not have it in the payroll budget anymore to keep. So now an employee gets fired. You're making more money, but there's an employee who's making no money. Because this is all, the price is the price. The market determines the price. All these other things that people talk about are just, these are externalities of government regulation that don't take into account basic economic reality. Um, more realistically, let's say they set the minimum wage at, instead of eight fifty, they're paying you $15 an hour. And they're not going to pay everybody that now, $15 an hour. Okay, well, that's a doubling of the costs of the of the labor day-to-day for this business that you work for. And so, you know what they might have to do at that point? They say, well, we can't afford to pay everybody. You know, if the business is only making $10,000 a month, let's say, and now our labor costs for a 40-hour work week because of the $15 an hour and all the employees we have exceeds that $10,000, we're going to go out of business, right? So what do they do? They cut back hours. Now, you might be making $15 an hour now, but if you're working four hours at a time instead of eight or two hours on the weekend instead of six or whatever it may be, you might be making less money. And that's just a function of the business trying to stay profitable and trying to... So this is what happens when, when you raise minimum wage. Some people do benefit from it. There's no question. Some people benefit from raising the minimum wage, but some businesses will be hurt and or shut down. Some people will have their hours cut. Some people will lose their jobs because the business can't afford to keep them at that new wage scale. And ultimately, the price is the price, the wage is the wage. The government can mandate otherwise, but they're just taking money from one area and putting it into another based on their own, based on their determination of what seems fair. Uh, Let's see. Phil. There we go. Um, writes, hi, Buck. I continue to enjoy your show. Doing my best to, spread, best to spread the word about it. The best form of advertising. Yes, Phil. Very important. Please tell your friends about the Buck Sexton show. It is critical that those of you who listen tell people about it because that is how the show will grow. Uh, check out C. Northcote Parkinson in Parkinson's Law where he says work expands to fill the time available to do it. Surely, as an entrepreneur, you're not bringing a success story on how you've carved out a media niche by working only five hours a day, five hours a week. I didn't quite think so. Uh, from Phil. Um, I, I'm not really sure what you're saying. Uh, no, I don't work five hours a day, five days a week. I work constantly, all the time. But that's by choice. And that's because I'm in a highly competitive business with a very uncertain uh, career track and, and trajectory, and we just got to make it happen. There's nothing else but 
That also said, you know, I, I don't have to show up to an office at eight o'clock in the morning and sit there and stare in a, at a screen in a cubicle and do nothing. I'm always doing things that I need to be doing. Um, but I'm also always thinking about work, which is that healthy? Who knows? Don, good evening, Buck. Looking forward to your show in Nashville. All right, cool. I grew up in Memphis, but the Tennessee hospitality also lives well in Nashville, uh, as does the Golden Tennessee Whiskey. I think you should still plan a trip to the Nashville karaoke bars. Have a shot of smooth Tennessee whiskey and break out a Bernie or Beto rendition of your favorite song for the Tennessee Freedom Hut. Shields high. Uh, well, thank you, man. I guess some of you will be seeing me in Nashville. I'll be in Nashville tonight and through the weekend. I'll be at Politicon, which is just type in Politicon 2019 on Google if you want to know where it is. I think they're still selling tickets. So I'll just be kind of wandering around, hanging out. I'm doing a couple of panels, you know, panel, whatever. We'll talk about some things, politics, you know. It'll be fun. So if you happen to be in the Nashville area, listen to the show. Please do come check it out. Uh, be great to see some Team Buck there. Make me happy. Make me feel like I got some friends around. And uh, with that, we'll continue on with our roll call. All right, roll call. Still in the uh, email inbox here. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com is how we do it. Uh, let's see. Steve writes, you're great. We love you, man. Thanks for preaching the truth. Steve and Stacy down in Texas. Well, Steve and Stacy, thank you. You guys are awesome. It's very nice of you. We try very hard to make this a good show, a worthwhile show, an informative show, a fun show. We might even have to start doing some uh, producer Mark stand up at the end. You know, we got all kinds of fun plans. Can I stay in my chair? Oh yeah, for sure. Great. Yeah, yeah just that's audio. all that matters. Yeah, yeah that's mm. right. we might have to eventually set up a camera so you guys can actually see producer Mark. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of like that. You know, there's like this imaginary fourth wall here. You know, so you yeah. don't really know what's going on. I like being here. a mystery to the audience. Yeah, he's, he's know kind of a mystery like. man. Yeah. He's, the wiz- he's the wizard behind the curtain. Um, all right, let's get what we've got here with uh, Maureen. Greetings, dear Buckman and producer Mark. You had a segment yesterday about seven-year-old transgender named James Luna Younger, and I wanted to add an important element to the whole story. His biological dad has been denied any right to raise him or have access to him, yet the... Uh, yet the woman is not biologically related to him. She bought eggs and did in vitro with the young boy's dad's biological contribution. She's not biologically related to him. The dad is, yet she gets the custody of a child she's not biologically related to while he's denied any rights to his own biological son. Also, James said it was his mom who told him he was a little girl. This is a travesty and child abuse. Thank you for talking about it, though, and bringing awareness. Love you and your show and your intimidate and your imitation of Elizabeth Warren. I tell everyone to listen to you as you're incredible. You're a sage of the airways. You're simply the best. Big hugs. Maureen in Newport Beach, California. Yeah, Newport Beach, Maureen. Have like a meeting of the Republican Club out there and invite me. I want to go out to Newport Beach. You ever been out to Newport Beach, producer Mark? It is. No. Yeah, it is fantastic. Sounds like a great place. I don't really care that much about becoming a millionaire one day, except it would be fun because then I could get a place in Newport Beach because it's really expensive. But I thought it's all going to disappear in a few years. Oh, yeah, that's right. They should sell it to me at a discount because of climate change. It could be the new Freedom Hut. That would be the new Freedom Hut. Perfect. Newport Beach, California Freedom Hut. Sign me up. Yeah, Maureen, call me. Let me know how I can come out there and do a speech or something. I love Newport Beach, California. I I will show up. Uh, let's see here. James, Aloha Buck. Your girl Tulsi is off about Aloha. Aloha is wishing the recipient to be in the presence of God. 
Dominus Vobiscum from the Catholic Latin Mass. What? Okay, whatever. Will the hut get the message soon that Buck is leaving to join with Tulsi and Andy? Um, no. Uh, let's see here. James, thank you for writing in. Uh, where are we next here? Ken! I'm trying to find some of the, Just watch the show for the first time. I know you're not a small guy. So, Kelly must be enormous. Stay close to him. Who is... Oh, Jesse Kelly! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Duh. Jesse, I was like, Kelly? <laughs> Jesse! I think, I think it was Jesse. No, Jesse's Jesse's huge. Jesse's like six foot ten. I'm six feet tall. Jesse is like six nine. He's enormous. He likes to, he likes to lord that over all this too. He's like, well, it's you know, I mean, I'm just down here being Jesse, just being all cool in Texas and tall and handsome and all this other and funny and all this other stuff. Uh, and he's like, how's the air down there, little Buckster? And I'm like, I don't know, man. It's like we're in a different atmosphere. Uh, Jesse's the best. I hope you guys really enjoy his show. I enjoy his show. I think he's one of the uh, the big emerging talents in in media and conservative media period, and not just big because he's taller than Paul Bunyan. I mean, the guy's absolutely huge. I mean, he makes Sasquatch look like he can't ride the amusement park rides. I mean, it's like that. You know, Jesse's a big dude. Uh, that's going to be the show. I'm going to be in Nashville at Politicon this weekend. Team Buck, if you see me, please come up, say hi. I'd love to see any members of Team Buck who are there. Please do tell some folks about the show this weekend. Pass the buck. And until Monday, my friends, Shields High.